Disputes Procedure In many countries, in order to obtain damages for breach of contract or to obtain specific performance or other equitable relief, the aggrieved injured party may file a civil, non-criminal, lawsuit in court. In England and Wales, a contract may be enforced by use of a claim, or in urgent cases by applying for an interim injunction to prevent a breach. Likewise, in the United States, an aggrieved party may apply for injunctive relief to prevent a threatened breach of contract, where such breach would result in irreparable harm that could not be adequately remedied by money damages. Arbitration If the contract contains a valid arbitration clause then, prior to filing a lawsuit, the aggrieved party must submit an arbitration claim in accordance with the procedures set forth in the clause. Many contracts provide that all disputes arising thereunder will be resolved by arbitration, rather than litigated in courts. Arbitration judgments may generally be enforced in the same manner as ordinary court judgments and are recognized and enforceable internationally under the New York Convention, which has 156 parties. However, in New York Convention states, arbitral decisions are generally immune unless there is a showing that the arbitrator's decision was irrational or tainted by fraud. Some arbitration clauses are not enforceable, and in other cases arbitration may not be sufficient to resolve a legal dispute. For example, disputes regarding validity of registered IP rights may need to be resolved by a public body within the national registration system. For matters of significant public interest that go beyond the narrow interests of the parties to the agreement, such as claims that a party violated a contract by engaging in illegal anti-competitive conduct or committed civil rights violations, a court might find that the parties may litigate some or all of their claims even before completing a contractually agreed arbitration process. United States In the United States, 35 states, notably not including New York, and the District of Columbia have adopted the Uniform Arbitration Act to facilitate the enforcement of arbitrated judgments. Customer claims against securities brokers and dealers are almost always resolved pursuant to contractual arbitration clauses because securities dealers are required under the terms of their membership in self-regulatory organizations such as the Financial Industry Regulatory Authority, formerly the NAST, or NYSE to arbitrate disputes with their customers. The firms then began including arbitration agreements in their customer agreements, requiring their customers to arbitrate disputes. Choice of Law when a contract dispute arises between parties that are in different jurisdictions, law that is applicable to a contract is dependent on the conflict of laws analysis by the court where the breach of contract action is filed. In the absence of a choice of law clause, the court will normally apply either the law of the forum or the law of the jurisdiction that has the strongest connection to the subject matter of the contract. A choice of law clause allows the parties to agree in advance that their contract will be interpreted under the laws of a specific jurisdiction. Within the United States, choice of law clauses is generally enforceable, although exceptions based upon public policy may at times apply. Within the European Union, even when the parties have negotiated a choice of law clause, conflict of law issues may be governed by the Romi regulation. Choice of Forum Many contracts contain a forum selection clause setting out where disputes in relation to the contract should be litigated. The clause may be general requiring that any case arising from the contract be filed within a specific state or country, or it may require that a case be filed in a specific court. For example, a choice of forum clause may require that a case be filed in the U.S. state of California, or it may require more specifically that the case be filed in the Superior Court for Los Angeles County. A choice of law or venue is not necessarily binding upon a court. Based upon an analysis of the laws, 
rules of procedure and public policy of the state and court in which the case was filed, a court that is identified by the clause may find that it should not exercise jurisdiction, or a court in a different jurisdiction or venue may find that the litigation may proceed despite the clause. As part of that analysis, a court may examine whether the clause conforms with the formal requirements of the jurisdiction in which the case was filed. In some jurisdictions, a choice of forum or choice of venue clause only limits the parties if the word exclusive is explicitly included in the clause. Some jurisdictions will not accept an action that has no connection to the court that was chosen, and others will not enforce a choice of venue clause when they consider themselves to be a more convenient forum for the litigation. Some contracts are governed by multilateral instruments that require a non-chosen court to dismiss cases and require the recognition of judgments made by courts having jurisdiction based on a choice of court clause. For example, the Brussels regime instruments, 31 European states, and the Hague Choice of Court Agreements Convention, European Union, Mexico, Montenegro, Singapore, as well as several instruments related to a specific area of law may require courts to enforce unrecognized choice of law clauses and foreign judgments. Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, ArmorAll, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on ArmorAll products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Remedies. In the United Kingdom, breach of contract is defined in the Unfair Contract Terms Act 1977 as non-performance, poor performance, part performance, or performance which is substantially different from what was reasonably expected. Innocent parties may repudiate, cancel, the contract only for a major breach breach of condition, but they may always recover compensatory damages, provided that the breach has caused foreseeable loss. It was not possible to sue the Crown in the UK for breach of contract before 1948. However, it was appreciated that contractors might be reluctant to deal on such a basis and claims were entertained under a petition of right that needed to be endorsed by the Home Secretary and Attorney General. S.1 Crown Proceedings Act 1947 opened the Crown to ordinary contractual claims through the courts as for any other person. Damages There are several different types of damages. Compensatory damages, which are given to the party injured by the breach of contract. With compensatory damages, there are two heads of loss, consequential damage and direct damage. In theory, compensatory damages are designed to put the injured party in his or her rightful position usually through an award of expectation damages. Liquidated damages are an estimate of loss agreed to in the contract, so that the court avoids calculating compensatory damages and the parties have greater certainty. Liquidated damages clauses may be called penalty clauses in ordinary language, but the law distinguishes between liquidated damages, legitimate, and penalties, invalid. A test for determining which category a clause falls into was established by the English House of Lords and Dunlop Pneumatic Tire Company Limited v. New Garage and Motor Company Limited. Nominal damages consist of a small cash amount where the court concludes that the defendant is in breach, but the plaintiff has suffered no quantifiable pecuniary loss, and may be sought to obtain a legal record of who was at fault. Punitive or exemplary damages are used to punish the party at fault. But even though such damages are not intended primarily to compensate, nevertheless the claimant, and not the state, receives the award. 
Exemplary damages are not recognized nor permitted in some jurisdictions. In the UK, exemplary damages are not available for breach of contract, but are possible after fraud. Although vitiating factors, such as misrepresentation, mistake, undue influence and duress, relate to contracts, they are not contractual actions, and so, in a roundabout way, a claimant in contract may be able to get exemplary damages. Compensatory damages compensate the plaintiff for actual losses suffered as accurately as possible. They may be expectation damages, reliance damages or restitutionary damages. Expectation damages are awarded to put the party in as good of a position as the party would have been had the contract been performed as promised. Reliance damages are usually awarded where no reasonably reliable estimate of expectation loss can be arrived at or at the option of the plaintiff. Reliance losses cover expense suffered in reliance on the promise. Examples where reliance damages have been awarded because profits are too speculative include the Australian case of McGravy Commonwealth Disposals Commission which concerned a contract for the rights to salvage a ship. In Anglia Television Limited v. Read the English Court of Appeal awarded the plaintiff expenditures incurred prior to the contract in preparation of performance. After a breach has occurred, the innocent party has a duty to mitigate loss by taking any reasonable steps. Failure to mitigate means that damages may be reduced or even denied altogether. However, Professor Michael Firmston has argued that it is wrong to express the mitigation rule by stating that the plaintiff is under a duty to mitigate his loss, citing Sodi Rose Shipping Incorporated v. Samiet, the so yield. If a party provides notice that the contract will not be completed, an anticipatory breach occurs. Damages may be general or consequential. General damages are those damages which naturally flow from a breach of contract. Consequential damages are those damages which, although not naturally flowing from a breach, are naturally supposed by both parties at the time of contract formation. An example would be when someone rents a car to get to a business meeting, but when that person arrives to pick up the car, it is not there. General damages would be the cost of renting a different car. Consequential damages would be the lost business if that person were unable to get to the meeting, if both parties knew the reason the party was renting the car. However, there is still a duty to mitigate the losses. The fact that the car was not there does not give the party a right to not attempt to rent another car. To recover damages, a claimant must show that the breach of contract caused foreseeable loss. Hadley v. Baxendale established that the test of foreseeability is both objective and subjective. In other words, is it foreseeable to the objective bystander, or to the contracting parties, who may have special knowledge? On the facts of this case, where a miller lost production because a carrier delayed taking broken mill parts for repair, the court held that no damages were payable since the loss was foreseeable neither by the reasonable man nor by the carrier, both of whom would have expected the miller to have a spare part in store. Specific Performance there may be circumstances in which it would be unjust to permit the defaulting party simply to buy out the injured party with damages. For example, where an art collector purchases a rare painting and the vendor refuses to deliver, the collector's damages would be equal to the sum paid. The court may make an order of what is called specific performance, requiring that the contract be performed. In some circumstances a court will order a party to perform his or her promise, an order of specific performance, or issue an order, known as an injunction that a party refrain from doing something that would breach the contract. A specific performance is obtainable for the breach of a contract to sell land or real estate on such grounds that the property has a unique value. In the United States by way of the 13th Amendment to the United States Constitution, 
specific performance in personal service contracts is only legal as punishment for a crime whereof the criminal shall be duly convicted. Both in order for specific performance and an injunction are discretionary remedies, originating for the most part in equity. Neither is available as of right and in most jurisdictions and most circumstances a court will not normally order specific performance. A contract for the sale of real property is a notable exception. In most jurisdictions, the sale of real property is enforceable by specific performance. Even in this case the defenses to an action in equity, such as latches, the bona fide purchaser rule, or unclean hands, may act as a bar to specific performance. Related to orders for specific performance, an injunction may be requested when the contract prohibits a certain action. Action for injunction would prohibit the person from performing the act specified in the contract. History Whilst early rules of trade and barter have existed since ancient times, modern laws of contract in the West are traceable from the Industrial Revolution, 1750 onwards, when increasing numbers worked in factories for a cash wage. In particular, the growing strength of the British economy and the adaptability and flexibility of the English common law led to a swift development of English contract law. Colonies within the British Empire, including the USA and the Dominions, would adopt the law of the mother country. In the 20th century, the growth of export trade led to countries adopting international conventions, such as the Higgs-Bosbee Rules and the UN Convention on Contracts for the International Sale of Goods, to promote uniform regulations. Contract law is based on the principle expressed in the Latin phrase pactus on servanda, agreements must be kept. The common law of contract originated with the now defunct writ of a sumset, which was originally a tort action based on reliance. Contract law falls within the general law of obligations, along with tort, unjust enrichment, and restitution. Jurisdictions vary in their principles of freedom of contract. In common law jurisdictions such as England and the United States, a high degree of freedom is the norm. For example, in American law, it was determined in the 1901 case of Hurley v. Eddingfield that a physician was permitted to deny treatment to a patient despite the lack of other available medical assistance and the patient's subsequent death. This is in contrast to the civil law, which typically applies certain overarching principles to disputes arising out of contract, as in the French Civil Code. Other legal systems such as Islamic law, socialist legal systems, and customary law have their own variations. However, in both the European Union and the United States, the need to prevent discrimination has eroded the full extent of freedom of contract. Legislation governing equality, equal pay, racial discrimination, disability discrimination and so on, has imposed limits of the full freedom of contract. For example, the Civil Rights Act of 1964 restricted private racial discrimination against African Americans. In the early 20th century, the United States underwent the Lochner era, in which the Supreme Court of the United States struck down economic regulations on the basis of freedom of contract in the Due Process Clause. These decisions were eventually overturned, and the Supreme Court established a deference to legislative statutes and regulations that restrict freedom of contract. The U.S. Constitution contains a contract clause, but this has been interpreted as only restricting the retroactive impairment of contracts. Commercial Use Contracts are widely used in commercial law and form the legal foundation for transactions across the world. Common examples include contracts for the sale of services and goods, both wholesale and retail, construction contracts, contracts of carriage, software licenses, employment contracts, insurance policies, sale or lease of land, and various other uses. 
Although the European Union is fundamentally an economic community with a range of trade rules, there is no overarching EU law of contract. In 1993, Harvey McGregor, a British barrister and academic, produced a contract code under the auspices of the English and Scottish Law Commissions, which was a proposal to both unify and codify the contract laws of England and Scotland. This document was offered as a possible contract code for Europe, but tensions between English and German jurists meant that this proposal has so far come to naught. Contract Theory Contract theory is the body of legal theory that addresses normative and conceptual questions in contract law. One of the most important questions asked in contract theory is why contracts are enforced. One prominent answer to this question focuses on the economic benefits of enforcing bargains. Another approach, associated with Charles Fried, maintains that the purpose of contract law is to enforce promises. This theory is developed in Fried's book, Contract is Promise. Other approaches to contract theory are found in the writings of legal realists and critical legal studies theorists. More generally, writers have propounded Marxist and feminist interpretations of contract. Attempts at overarching understandings of the purpose and nature of contract as a phenomenon have been made, notably relational contract theory originally developed by U.S. contracts scholars Ian Roderick McNeil and Stuart McCauley, building at least in part on the contract theory work of U.S. scholar Lionel Fuller. While U.S. scholars have been at the forefront of developing economic theories of contract focusing on questions of transaction cost and so-called efficient breach theory. Another dimension of the theoretical debate in contract is its place within, and relationship to a wider law of obligations. Obligations have traditionally been divided into contracts, which are voluntarily undertaken and owed to a specific person or persons, and obligations in tort which are based on the wrongful infliction of harm to certain protected interests primarily imposed by the law, and typically owed to a wider class of persons. Recently it has been accepted that there is a third category, restitutionary obligations, based on the unjust enrichment of the defendant at the plaintiff's expense. Contractual liability, reflecting the constitutive function of contract, is generally for failing to make things better, by not rendering the expected performance, liability in tort is generally for action, as opposed to omission, making things worse and liability in restitution is for unjustly taking or retaining the benefit of the plaintiff's money or work. The common law describes the circumstances under which the law will recognize the existence of rights, privilege or power rising out of a promise. The content used in the podcast is licensed by the Wikimedia Foundation incorporated under a Creative Commons attribution, share alike license. The text has been modified for audio. The content of these podcasts is for informational purposes only and do not constitute professional advice. These podcasts are not associated with the Wikimedia Foundation in any context. The content of this podcast was last edited on March 29, 2020. Hi, this is Annie from Avoir Simone. You're listening to a Creative Commons licensed podcast.